You guys remember the story um, of, of the Andy Griffith show. And, and, and Andy had went to church with Barney um, one Sunday, like I'm sure um, they did every Sunday, and uh, caught Barney sleeping um, a little bit throughout the service. And Andy kind of ribbed Barney just a little bit when they got done. I don't know if it was the next Monday or just maybe at, at uh, Sunday afternoon lunch. After that, I said, Barney, what was, the, uh, what was the service about today? And Barney said, God, <laughs> sin. And, and I, think if, I think if you answer that um, every week when you go to church, I think you, I, I, I think you can't get that wrong. Today, we're going to talk a lot about the cross, and and uh, and the and the title of my my message to you guys today is lessons from Job. Job was two thousand years before the cross ever happened, but um, I, I forget a lot when we start reading the Old Testament. This this entire book is really about the cross, and it's about what God did for us on the cross and what that what that means then for Job 2,000 years before the cross ever happened and what it means for us today 2,000 years after the cross has happened. So good news for you today, um, a couple things. Number one, your real pastor is going to be back next week. This is not, <laughs> this is not a permanent deal. Uh, this is just uh, this is a one-week deal. Um, number two, you're going to get out early today. You're going to make it lunch on time. Um, cause I, am not sure, I'm not sure, um, w- where this is, where this is going to go and where it's going to end up. Um, but I do have some things, um, that hopefully you're going to be able to take with you, um, after today. And, and, and as you go back and study Job, because here's the deal, you're going to leave today with a lot more questions, um, than, than I give you answers. Um, when I started, when I started the, the commentary and, and the reading and, and preparing, um, for today, I thought, I thought, oh great! What, what did I do? Um, because every single one of them, to a to a to a person, went back and said, Job is one of the most difficult books in the Bible. Well, why in the world did I pick it? Um, I'll tell you real quick um, how that came to be. Um, at our at our elder retreat um, last year, um, we we were at um, a, a, a house, and uh, all of our elders were there, and we spent two days, and we we get to talk about. Um, our church, we, we, you know, we, we, we talk about it from A to Z, you know, and, uh, and one of those things that we talk about is our preaching calendar, what that's going to look like. And uh, one of my roles, if, if nothing else, at the elder retreat is I'm kind of the camp cook. Um, I'm good at that, as you can obviously see. Um, but uh, I, I'm, standing at the, I'm standing in the kitchen, and, and I'm talking about, uh, I'm, I'm helping make taco soup, I think, at the time. And uh, our elders are around the table, and we, we're kind of in a break. And, uh, and Charlie asked, Coach, would you be willing to preach? And, and I've told Charlie, I, I've probably told him no three or four different times. He continues to come to me and ask, Coach, would you be willing to do that? And I said, no. Man, you want to get, a, you want to get me up in front of 300 of our parents, um, of some of our football parents? Man, I can talk all day long about our football program. Um, I can talk about um, – I, I can get in front of young people and, and talk about – um, adversity um, in, in football and, and how that's going to help you um, eventually in life. But uh, get up and talking in front of our congregation um, was, was daunting um, to me. And, and basically, um, Judge Gravel, and I'm disappointed he's not here today because I think you would appreciate this, um, he basically bu- bullied me into this. 
Um, he kind of called me a coward um, for not being willing to get up and do it. And uh, I, I couldn't take too much of that, and so, so here I am today. Um, let, me, uh, let me just open this up um, with some prayer this morning, um, just that um, you, you guys would, would hear what the Lord has to say. Father, we love you. Um, I just give you thanks, uh, Father, for a great Sunday morning. Uh, just thank you, Lord, for the, for the rain um, that, you, that you've blessed us with. Um, I ask, uh, Father, a, a special blessing um, this morning on, on Santa Fe. And um, that we don't understand that, uh, Father. And, and, and what I have to say is not going to shed any light on, on that tragedy. But um, I pray for the families um, that are affected there. Um, I, I continue to pray for our state and our country as, as we learn um, how, how to deal with, with those tragedies that, that are happening all too often. Um, Father, I pray for my words today, that, that, you're, that they're your words, um, that, that I'm able to say things, uh, Father, that would uh, bring somebody closer to you, uh, Father, that, 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 that they would ask questions, uh, Lord, that are, that are going to uh, bring them closer to you. Father, it is about the cross, and it's about Christ. Um, your unbelievable love that you showed to us, uh, Father, by allowing your son to be on the cross. Uh, I still have a hard time wrapping my head around that um, exactly, but, Father, I know it was your, your undying love for, you, for us and, and, and your creation. So, Father, just uh, be with us this morning. Uh, let us get to worship you um, as we read your word and, uh, and go through Job. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so, so why Job? Okay, uh, the, the, the number one thing that, that I thought um, before I really dove back in and, and started researching and, and, and talking about Job was, man, this guy is a coach's mentality. Okay, some of you may, may not know, I'm the head football coach at Georgetown High School, um, have, have, uh, going into my 10th year um, of, be, uh, of being the head football coach. And so um, that, that's kind of my wheelhouse. That's where, that's where I'm at. Okay, and, and Job... Um, it is a guy when you when you initially look at the story, is a guy that that can fix anything. At least in Job's mind, he can fix anything through hard work and effort. Through hard work and effort, and 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 for me as a coach and 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 a leader of young men, that that's kind of my battle cry over and over um, to those guys. We we can we can outwork anybody, okay, and our effort will continue to be rewarded on any given Friday night. And, and I believe that as a coach. I, I truly believe that. I think that you can, I think you, that you can outwork your opponent. Um, I, I think that your effort um, every, every single Friday night or every single practice, every single rep um, is going to show up and be rewarded when, on, on game day. Job was such a good guy, okay? Um, it, says, it says in Job 1, that he was a man of perfect integrity, completely blameless. And, and here's the deal, guys. This is what God said. God told Satan that Job was a perfect man of perfect integrity. That's, that sounds pretty good. Okay? But not only was Job a man of perfect, perfect integrity for himself, Job was an incredible worker. All right? And I think that shows in the fact that not only did Job make sacrifices and, and repent for him and, and for his own shortcomings, but he also did it for his ten children. 
Um, it also says in chapter 1 that, that Job continued to wash away his, his children's sins through sacrifice. And so, to me, that's Job working, okay, toward being the best Job that he can be. All right? Not only covering his own sins, but also covering the sins of his children. Man, as a father, how would we like that? I'd love to be able to, I'd love to, be able to sacrifice and, and cover the sins of my children. Okay? But um, we'll get to the cross in a little bit. Hard work and effort. Job was a doer. Job was a worker. And Job understand, uh, understood, at least in the Old Testament, what that needed to be done, what, what exactly needed to be done for his, for his sins and his children's sins to be covered. The second thing that we're going to hear a little bit about today is what do we do when adversity hits? I think I am married to a, a, an unbelievable wife. I think I have three unbelievable children that, I, that I'm blessed with who, at least at this point in their life, are still scared of me. Um, I, think that carries, I think that carries a little bit of weight um, right now. I, both of my parents um, are still doing uh, really well. Um, Bethany's parents are still doing really well. I've still got um, two of my grandmothers that, that are doing well. Um, I was able to grow up and know both of my grandfathers um, really well. Um, wh- what adversity have I faced? I'm not sure any. I don't have cancer. My wife doesn't have cancer. My children are healthy. I've got what I think is the best job in America. I've never been fired. Although I will say this, Bum Phillips, um, head coach of the Houston Oilers for a long time, said there's two kinds of coaches. Bum was maybe more country than me. Said that is, there's them that's, them that's been fired and them that's going to be. So you know, that, that's probably waiting on me somewhere down the road. And I, and I understand that. That kind of that goes, um, you know, par for the course maybe. Um, but really in my, in my life, I'm not sure what adversity I could set up here in front of you and say that, man, I've suffered through that. Um, and, and there's many in my congregation that have. And, and, I, and I am, I'm not, you're not going to get those answers um, from me today. Um, as much as I'd like to be able to, to, to have the um, – the wisdom to set up here and tell you what that looks like, you're not going to be able to find that today. How does God reward our, I'm sorry, does God reward our suffering or does God reward our attitude in our suffering? We're going to talk about that um, a little bit more. And, and that's, what, that's what I found the more I dove into Job. That's what I understand, understood a little bit more. I thought that I was going to read about a man that just, Kind of, kind of hunkered down and just survived the storm and then God rewarded that at the end of it. And the more I dove into it, the more I recognized that wasn't necessarily the case. Where is God in our suffering? Where is God in the times that we suffer? And again, church, I, I, I can't, um, I can't sit here in front of you and tell you that I, that I have the answer to that. But, but I can say this, that God was on the cross. 
And, and God sent his son to be on the cross. And no matter what we're going through, no matter how we're suffering, I, I think it, it's very difficult to say it was, it's worse than that from what God did on Calvary. And, and, there's, and there's no question that God is in it with us, at least in my mind, because he was on the cross. He was there that day. Physically, he was there, but also he was there with his son, Jesus Christ. So let's talk a little bit about the story of Job. We've already talked about a little bit that 2,000 years ago, Job was a blameless man. Okay, Job was the Bill Gates of the East. An incredible amount of, of wealth, um, an incredible amount of land. Um, it, it tells us that he had 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and a very large number of servants. To take care of all of that, I grew up on a farm. My mom and dad still live on a farm. Um, to take care of 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and, and 500 female donkeys, it says that a very large number of servants. I can't imagine what a very large number of servants looked like, but it was a bunch. He had a bunch of people that, that worked for him and served him and served his household. Job was a very wealthy man that was careful to do things exactly like God had commanded in the Old Testament to do. Through sacrifice, through, through worship. Not only, not only was he careful to do it exactly like he wanted, but he was also careful to make sure that his kids were covered. Again, I think this goes back to Job was a doer. He was a worker. And he understood um, at least what it called for in the Old Testament to make sure that that was, um, to make sure that that was done correctly. Verse 6 in chapter 1 picks up with Satan standing before God saying the only reason that Job is good is because God had put a hedge of protection around him. That was the only reason, is what Satan is saying, was the only reason that, that, that Job was as blameless as he was because God had put a hedge of protection around him and, and around everything that he touched, all his belongings, his children, his wealth, everything. Satan said, Give me a chance, and I can make him waver. God said, very well. Everything he owns is in your power. However, you must not lay a hand on Job himself. So Satan, let the Lord, so Satan left the Lord's present. I think it's important to say there and to recognize there that Satan could not have done anything without God's permission. Why, why God granted Satan permission, I don't necessarily know, other than, other than to give us this. But um, it, it is worth noting that without God's permission, Satan still could not have touched Job. This is not going to be up on the screen, but I want to read this to you. It says, one day Job's sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. A messenger came and reported, while the oxen were plowing and the donkeys grazed nearby, the Sabans swooped down and took away 
They struck down the servants with the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. He was still speaking when another messenger came and reported a lightning storm struck from heaven. It burned up the sheep and the servants and devoured them, and I alone have escaped to tell you. That messenger was still speaking when yet another came and reported. The childrens formed three bands. They made, a, they made the raid on the camels and took them away. They struck down the servants with the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. He was still speaking when yet another messenger came and reported, Your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. Suddenly a powerful wind came in from the, from the desert and struck the four corners of the house, and it collapsed with all of the young people so that they died, and I have alone to escape you. That's a bad day. That's a bad day um, for Job. That would, be, that would be a bad day for us. I can't imagine what, what other type of adversity we could face after all of that. All of his wealth, his livelihood, his job, all of his servants, okay, his support network, his support network and then finally all of his children have been killed in one day. And Job was left. Job said this, Naked I come from my mother's womb, and naked I leave this life. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Again, blameless. He did not, he did not insult God with his mouth. He did not insult God with his words. Job was willing to sit there and say, I don't understand it. I don't have an answer for it. But I'm here. I'm still your servant, God. Satan, I think, goes back to God, and I think he's probably pouting. I think he's a little bit upset. He tells God, he said, skin for skin, you let me harm his body, and he'll fold. So God says, very well. He is in your power. Only spare his life. So Satan left the Lord's presence and affected Job with the terrible boils from the sole of his foot to the top of his head. And then Job took a piece of broken pottery to scrape himself while he sat among the ashes. So not only now has he lost his entire family, he's lost his entire livelihood, he's lost every servant that he has, now he's infected with a, with a terrible disease. From the, from the soles of his feet to the top of his head, he, he finds a little bit of pleasure, not pleasure, relief in sitting among the ashes and picking up a broken piece of glass and, and scraping the sores with that just for a little bit of relief. I'm not sure there could be anything more miserable for a man. After all of that, okay, after all of that, we'll say this. God is for us. God is on our team. God understands the suffering that we go through. Why? Again, because God was on the cross. God was there. 2,000 years before the cross ever happened, God understood. 2,000 years after the cross has happened, God still understands. God was on the cross. God is for us. 
Romans 8.28 says this, We know that all things work together for the good of those that love God. Those are called for according to his purpose. How can all things work together for the good, for the good of those that love him? I'm not sure I have the right answer for a child dying of cancer. I'm not sure I have the right answer for 10 young people losing their life in Santa Fe last Friday. How's that going to work for the good of God? I don't know. But I do know this. God is with them. God is there in that tragedy. God is in the Santa Fe school. God is with that young child that has cancer. God is with the marriage that's broken. God is with the man that is sitting in his car contemplating suicide because he's lost his job. He didn't have the courage to go home and tell his wife. I'm not sure where our next paycheck is going to come from. God is there in that. And again, church, I, I, I don't have the answers to get caught up in to, to tell you exactly what that looks like. But I do know this. It's, it's a very small speck in our life that God's looking at. And there is a blessing somewhere on the other side of that. And I don't have the wisdom to sit here and tell you what that looks like. You're going to have to go back home and you're going to have to open your Bible and you're going to have to, you're going to, have to find that on your own. Many times we are going to be disciplined. And I'm not saying our, I'm not saying our, our child dying of cancer is, is part of that discipline. That's not what I'm saying at all. Our child dying of cancer is, is pretty simple to sum up for me. That's evil. And, and that's, a, that's a fallen world. And that's the world that we live in. And, and ten young people being shot and killed in Santa Fe, that's, that's, not, part of, that's not part of God's discipline. That, that's part of evil. And that's, that's Satan. And, and, that's, and that's the world that we live in. I, I don't have the answers for that. But it does tell us that at times God will discipline us. In Hebrews 6.12, For the Lord disciplines the ones that he loves and punishes every son he receives. There will be discipline in our life to help us get back on track. When, 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 we, when, we, when we have veered from the path that the Lord has laid out for us, there will be discipline in our life to help us, help us get back on track again. That, that's different for all of us. That could be um, you know, a job situation. That could be a marriage situation. That could be a sickness in our family, a sickness with us, what, whatever. Why do bad things happen sometimes to good people? And again, it goes back to because we live in a fallen world. We live in a life that is marred by sin. Um, we live in a country that, that is marred by sin. We live in a church that's marred by sin. But again, the cross. As awful as the cross was, it still worked out for God's glory. As awful as... Awful as he had to put his own son up on the cross that, that, that suffered a, a horrible death that still worked for the good of God. 
And if God can still work good through that, then surely he can still work good through my circumstance, whatever that is. No question. Job spent 40 chapters, really 39 chapters in the Bible, defending himself to his friends, good friends. At least, at least that's the initial picture that we get. Three, three good friends show up and sit with, jo- sit with Job for a week, and they don't speak. For seven days, they sit, and they let Job mourn in the ashes. I guess they watch him scrape his sores, and they, and they, and they sit and just be with him. I think those, those sound like pretty good friends. I think those sound like friends that we wish we would have at times. The problem is the friends start to talk, and they start offering their advice, which we've all got some of those as well. And the friends start to tell Job, this is because of something you've done. Now, again, Job was blameless. God said he was blameless. All right, but the friends continue to tell Job, what have you done that would bring this calamity on, on you? And Job, in, in, in the next chapter, Job will, Job will give a rebuttal. I'll tell him, listen, I, I haven't done anything. And then the next friend will talk, and Job will give a rebuttal. And then the next friend will talk, and Job will give a rebuttal. And finally, Job cries out to the Lord, much like Christ did on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Where have you gone? And then God shows up with all of his infinite wisdom and is able to, to tell Job, hang on here, buddy. Let me, let me tell you about this. And so Job sits and listens to what God has to say. And in Job 42, 2 through 6, It says, I know that you can do anything, and no plan of yours can be thwarted. You ask, who is this that conceals my counsel with his ignorance? Surely, God, I spoke about things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. You said, listen now, and I will speak. When I question you, you will inform me. I had heard rumors about you, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore, I take back my words and repent in dust and ashes. No matter how much Job had done for God, remember what God had said. He was a man of perfect integrity and blameless. Still, he could not earn God. He had to rely on what God was in charge and that he had a plan for Job's life. We know how Job finishes. Okay, in chapter 42, it tells us that Job was blessed twice of what he had before. So with 7,000, went to 14,000. I mean, you, you can do the math. His 500 oxen went to 1,000 oxen. His children, the seven sons and three daughters, went to, I guess, 20. It never actually says that, but if it says it was doubled, he went to 20 children. So Job was blessed twice of what he had before. If, if we sit and we think, okay, God, I'm going, to, I'm going to just hunker down 
and I'm going to make it through this adversity or whatever you're giving me so that you'll bless me on the other side of it, we're going to be disappointed. Because again, we're expecting a blessing right now. And we're expecting a blessing in this life and what that looks like. We're, we're on God's time. And that small speck of life that we're looking at right now is, is just what I said, a speck. That, that blessing may come in the next life. Or that blessing may come in our children's life. We don't know exactly what that looks like. So be careful just being willing to sit down and hunker down and waiting on God's blessing. Because I think we're going to be disappointed in the end of that when that blessing may or may not come. Attitude and adversity. Again, the football coach's mentality. What is your attitude like? And and can that carry you through any adversity that you have? I'll tell you quickly, I I told you earlier that um, I haven't faced adversity. My kids are healthy. Um, our marriage is good. Finances are struggling just like everybody else's, but we're, we're making it. In 2001, Bethany let me know that we were um, expecting our first child. And sh- shortly thereafter, um, I realized, you know, the doctor tells us that that, that child is going to be a boy. I mean, you're talking about swelling up with pride. Man, so exciting for, for a young couple. Um, we've been married for five years. We, this was kind of our plan, um, and, and, uh, and it was coming to fruition, I guess. So nine months later, um, we're blessed with a almost nine-pound bouncing baby boy, and, and we are thrilled to death. Bethany spent over 30 hours in labor um, with Tatum, and, uh, and, and, and eventually – um, Tatum was born through C-section. He was, uh, I was able to be in the, in the room, um, with him, uh, with her and, um, the doctor, it was kind of an emergency, um, C-section. Um, the baby's heart rate had started to drop. Bethany wasn't doing well um, anymore. And so we said, okay, we got to go get this baby. And, and, um, thank God that from the time they made that decision in about six minutes, we, we had a baby out. Um, I can remember the doctor kind of over that curtain as I'm sitting there with Bethany and, and uh, comforting her. She, she is um, not really she, – she's not all the way out, but she's really not there with us um, trying to comfort her. And I can remember the doctor, you know, kind of looking in Bethany and saying, all right, coach, he's fine. you got a beautiful – you've got a baby boy. But, man, he is ugly. <laughs> I kind of said, uh-oh. All right, what does that look like? And um, Tatum had, had been a brow presentation baby um, throughout that 31 hours of labor, um, which basically means he, he was trying to come through with his, with his forehead um, instead, of the, you know, instead of the top of his head like it should have been. And, and I kid you not, when, when they brought him out um, of her stomach, I thought we had just had the first alien um, here, here on earth because it looked, like, it looked like a softball had been cut off and glued to the front of his head, and the skin pulled over the top of it. His little forehead stuck out two inches past his eyes. But the doctor, t- the doctor told him, and said, don't worry. He said, he'll be in, in 24 hours. He'll be fine. And sure enough, he was. He was the perfect baby boy. We went through, um, you know, the first 
two years of Tatum's life and because of Bethany and her profession, um, she, she realized some things that weren't exactly right. Tatum wasn't meeting those milestones um, that, that he should be meeting. And, and, I, and I didn't know what that looked like. I thought everything was fine, and I thought we were doing great and had a great doctor who, who didn't push it on us at all. Um, Bethany would eventually bring up something to the doctor, and the doctor said, yeah, I kind of see that same thing. You know, let's, let's, give it another, let's give it another three months and kind of see where it's at. So eventually we did that for a while, and by, um, you know, the milestones that, that I was smart enough to see, um, he, 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 didn't, he didn't do some of the same things that our friends' babies were doing at the same time. He wasn't able to hold up a bottle, and he wasn't, um, he wasn't rolling over um, when he should have, and he wasn't, um, he wasn't walking um, by the time he should have been walking. Um, all of those different, all those different kind of things. And at some point, our, our doctor finally said, okay, we're going to need to get some tests done and kind of see what's going on, you know, with him. And so Tatum had his first CAT scan, I don't know, probably three, three years old or so, had his first CAT scan. And I remember being as scared as I've ever been before, knowing that my, my perfect son was going in for a CAT scan. And, and not that I was worried about the CAT scan. I wasn't worried about that at all. I was worried about what that CAT scan was going to tell us and exactly what um, some of his issues uh, might have been. And so when, when we came back out, you know, the doctor, again, was very positive, but, but told us, I made Bethany tell me how to write this down because I never could say it right, but periventricle leukomalacia was what his diagnosis came back as. And basically what that means is the gray matter that, that is in your brain that helps connect um, those nerves and, and stuff like that that you need, those sensory nerves in your brain, Tatum's, Tatum's had been damaged. And we don't know when it had been damaged. We don't know if it happened during pregnancy or it happened, you know, in the first trimester. They, they couldn't say that for sure. But it was going to be a waiting game to see w- what exactly those, those results would come out like. And so th- this is the part of the story that I really want you to understand because it's where, it's where Beth and I, we, we learned the same lesson that Job learned. We're part of a great church, um, had a great community group. Um, we're very involved, and, and Beth and I both, as, as believers, felt like that, man, we're, we're fixing to change this. Through, through the power of prayer, we're going to change exactly what that CAT scan came out like. And God, at the end of it, we're going to give you all the credit. We're going to give you all the glory, God, because you're going to change this. And, man, we started praying. And, and our church came over, um, our, our community group came over, and we, lay, we laid hands on a three-year-old boy um, countless times. And through that whole deal, for the six months that we were waiting to go back and get another CAT scan, through that whole deal, Beth and I both were, God, we're going to give you all the glory for this. Thank you, God. Thank you for being willing to heal our son. Thank you for continuing to make him perfect. And six months later comes by, and we go back in, and, and Beth and I are we're as confident as we've ever been. We're confident because we're ready to give God the glory in that. And we've told everybody we're going to give God the glory in that. When it comes back, we're going to give you the glory, God. And it came back, we learned that nothing had changed. That damage was still there. Um, luckily, it wasn't getting worse. The doctor felt like that that, was a, that that was a positive, that it didn't look like it was anything that was going to progress past this, but the damage had been done, and it wasn't going to change. 
And, and with damage, this particular diagnosis, it's, it's consistent many times with cerebral palsy. Um, it's consistent with um, uh, paralysis, um, where a child is not able to walk, um, that a child will never um, be, quote, unquote, the normal child that we wanted him to be. And after our initial shock and disappointment of that that is not going to be the life of our son, okay, now we sit there and, and wait and see, all right, what is the miracle in this? And the miracle, much like what Job realized for him, the miracle was is that although Tatum's CAT scans look like this, and it should make him like this, we have a kid that, that obviously doesn't have cerebral palsy. We have, we have a son that, although he was a little bit later meeting those milestones, all right, he's walking today. Eventually, we learn much later down the road that Tatum has a, a mild form of autism. And that's something that, that's something that we're very um, upfront and, and Tatum will tell you. But why did God, why did God not answer our prayer? Why did God not meet our church, church's prayer? Why did God not honor us down on our hands and knees and laying our hands on our son and begging for him to be healed? I, I think it's because, because now we get to say the blessing of what we have now. And, and it's, and it's, there, there, it's not always going to turn out like that. And, I, and again, I don't have the answer for that. And you're not going to find that here today. But I do know this. God is with us. God was with us when we were going through that CAT scan. God continues to be with us as we, as we help raise a son that is unbelievable. He's perfect in every way because that's the way God made him. So, to, to, to put a bow on this, and let's, let's wrap this deal up, okay? And I'm not, sure I, I'm not sure I've got a good way to wrap it all up. But I'm going to go back to the football coach again. Number one, never quit. When that, when that adversity comes, hang in there. Hang in there. Rely on the people around you that are like-minded in the same way that you are. Rely on the people around you that you can count on to for prayer. The second thing is this, and this is something I talk about to our I talk about to our team all the time. We came up with this about three or four years ago, and we still use it. Is GTDNA Georgetown DNA? Okay, and I'm going to change that a little bit for us in just a second. But GTDNA means for us, and what it means for our team is their attitude, their effort, and their toughness. I think I think I think we can put a good product on the field. We can put a good football team on the field. With, their, with, with great attitude, with great effort, and toughness. If, if we can continue to mold that in our young people and our athletes, then I think we're going to put a, put a good product on the field. This is where it changes for us. What does our River Rock DNA look like? What does our Christian DNA look like? I think there are a lot of words out there that you could put, much like I had attitude, effort, and toughness for our football team, I think there are many words that you can put into that. Love, trust, compassion. 
And we'd go on and on and on. Probably come up with two dozen words that would fit good there. But when things get difficult, go back to your Christian DNA. Your River Rock DNA. What does that look like for each individual person here? And how can you continue to develop that and pass that on to your children? But also pass it on to the friends around you that are going through hard times. If I ask us to stand up here today, everybody that has a struggling marriage, stand up. If everybody that, that, that has cancer in somebody they love, stand up. If everybody that has struggles at work, stand up. If, 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 if adversity after adversity after adversity, I think we could name about five or six things and, and over half of our congregation would be standing up. That's happening right here in our church. And, and where are we as fellow believers where are we in helping our, our fellow congregation through that? We've, we've, got to be, we've got to be there. And not, not necessarily like Job's, Job's friends that started accusing him, what have you done wrong? But maybe like Job's friends at the start of it before they decided to open their mouth. I'm sorry. I don't know what it's like to have a child with cancer. I'll help you do anything you need done. I will pray for you repeatedly. I will make a meal for you. I'll come over and clean your bathrooms if that needs done. Whatever that looks like. Church, we, we, we are here for a reason. God has placed us in this point in our life for a reason. Attitude and effort. I think that goes back to how we can look at anything. Beth and I's attitude wasn't exactly right when the, at, when the diagnosis came back with Tatum. Our effort was. Our effort was where it should have been. I'm not sure that our attitude was right. It took God kind of changing our view on that for our attitude to come where it needed to. And God is, God's going to do that for us as well. God can change our attitude to where we get our, we get our sights back where they should be. Back what I mentioned first on the cross. Thank you guys for the chance to um, to get to come and talk to you today. Um, like I said, you're going to leave here with a lot more questions um, than you had answers. But uh, I certainly um, appreciate your um, the church allowing me to get up and, and talk to you briefly. Um, I'll close this with prayer, and then uh, Charlie will come up. Father, um, we love you. Lord, we, we thank you that you are with us. We thank you, Lord, that... Um, when adversity happens, we have a place to run back to that, that's a stronghold. Father, you are mighty and you are in control. And we lift up our life, our imperfect life to you, Lord, that it will honor you and it will honor your son and will honor the cross. In Jesus' name.